but not, but not that date. Yeah. <laughs> um, are, you're welcome for announcements. I would just like <laughs> you to know you are welcome. I want you to know that that is a gift from us <laughs> to you, Lindsay. And we prayed before we came out here that, that we would have, that this would be, today would be serious fun. Serious fun. Thanks, Lindsay. Good job. Yeah, she brought the fun. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to explain what's going on-ish, right? Right. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are, just like Jenny said, you are simple in the way you love us. Um, Father, sometimes this can get so complicated, and we ask for you today to make it very clear exactly what you want us to leave here understanding about you. We want to know you better We want to know you in a deeper way. We want to understand your word, Father. Will you just make it clear today? Thank you for laughter. Thank you for um, all the different pieces of truth that sometimes are hard, God, but it's all in love. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are now, are you ready? We're going to sing Kumbaya. Ready? Ready? Okay. (laughs) No, it's so awkward. That would be so terrible. They would run. They would leave. They would run. Um, Here's the thing. So this week, I'm Chris, this is Becky, in case you haven't figured that part out. We're doing things a little differently. We're Crecky. We decided that's our ship name. (laughs) It's Crecky. Sounds weird, but yeah, it's great. Here's what's interesting. Um, I would like to introduce myself this way. Um, My name is Chris, and um, I'm a rock striker. I'm I'm a stone striker. Here's what happened to to us this week. Anybody read that um, part of Numbers where we talked about how God spoke to Moses and he said to do what to the stone? Speak, Speak, right? And what did he do? He got a little violent, right? And so as we sit here, um, I had to confess that I was striking a stone quite often this week. And it was funny because it was like, God showing me, and of several of us, I've come to realize after we had our group discussion, y'all may have as well, that what he wanted to show us this week was that sometimes, sometimes his way is better than Chris's way. Huh, that could be a principle right there, right? So what we realized is while we had these plans for what today would look like, including worship, including announcements, including the slides, including everything, God had a different plan. And so today we are going to trust his plan and it's going to be fun. Um, And so I just wanted to tell you that, that we are trying to be obedient. And so may we all walk out of here um, speaking to stones, not striking them. Amen. And listening to God. So here's how this is going to look. We are going to not sing because that's would be bad. But what we're going to do is we're going to take this text that we studied this week and we're going to break it down into three parts. And Becky and I are just going to kind of, we're going to share this a little bit. And I think you will be blessed um, to see that God spoke very directly to each of us in his own way. And um, it just couldn't be done any other way. So with that said, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three. Um, So when we we were laughing, because some of you know this about me. Right I'm sorry, I might fall. We should right be careful. Right after we prayed? What? Did you mean right after we prayed? I thought I prayed. Oh, she thought she prayed. I did, didn't I? She did. We should go, could always pray more. No, that's good. Go ahead. Yeah, we're good. This is going to be a comedy routine if you guys <laughs> haven't figured it out. 
here's what, uh, what we did. We, we sat down and we said, okay, God, what do you want this thing to look like? And he made it pretty clear. And he outlined it this way. And then I laughed because it's just the name of the band. So you're welcome. Um, we're going to look at this first part and we're going to look at the head um, part. And it's like, it's, it, it's, it's verses, um, chapter three, verses one through six. And it's really where he's talking to us about we are his house. Remember that part? We are his house. So that's the head. We're going to talk about the heart. And again, not the band. Also, quite wonderful band. Highly recommend them. Head and the heart. And then Becky is going to talk to us a little about heart issues and specifically about God's prescription um, for those. And then finally, our hands. Like, as we were talking about this, we're like, okay, this is all great information, but now what? What What are we going to do? And so... We're going to go through that a little bit in chapter 4 where we are. He says, um, let us therefore dot, dot, dot. So what does that mean for us? Um, So with that said, we're going to talk about the head. I I did want to address one little quick thing about last week. Um, Just to be clear, there might have been some confusion about, and by might have been confusion, there may have been me saying things weird ways because I do that sometimes. I wanted to tell you guys something. When we were talking about the sonship of Jesus, the sonship of Jesus last week. Remember that? And we were talking about that weird word that was, that was, that was embedded in there in, in our verses, and it was about him becoming lower than the angels. I wanted to make clear, um, felt like this needed to be made very clear. I want you to hear this. Jesus has always, always, always been the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That has never changed. He was not created. He was there from the beginning and will be there for eternity. Okay? When we were saying, when I was was clarifying about how he became lower than the angels, that's simply when he became fully man, fully God. Does that make sense? He became a son, in essence, when he became, when he took on flesh and blood to live with us, among us. But he has always been God. Okay? Felt like that needed to be cleared up. So I just wanted to make sure y'all understood that. So with that said, let's look at Hebrews 3. Let's look at Hebrews 3. So the first six verses, I'm going to read those out loud to you. And you've read them a couple times, and so you've heard them. Um, but i got a couple things that I feel like God was saying we need, to, we need to focus on. And remembering, he's talking to these Hebrews, right? And so they have this Moses guy like way elevated up on a pedestal. Don't you guys talk about that in your homework? Some of those people that we elevate on a pedestal. Well, that's what these Hebrews did because Moses mattered. He mattered to their heritage. Um, And so they have elevated him in this way. And so that's what I love about the author of Hebrews. He's so smart because he knows what matters to them the most. And so he's going to hit that in the first six verses. So let's take a look at, at verses one through six. It goes like this. Therefore, which remember, what does that word always say? saying, hey, I just told you something. So based on what I just told you, I want you to pay attention to this. Okay? So he says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Underline that word, that word consider. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus, verse 3, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things 
that were to be spoken later. Verse six, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. There's a lot of words in there that were just kind of weird. A lot of words that got confusing, but I want you to hear a couple of them and really think about what, sorry I kicked you, what he was trying to say to the hearers of this word, the readers of this letter. Listen, like I said, when we see the word therefore, we're supposed to ask what? What's the therefore therefore, right? What does that mean? It means something. It's a transition. And so he's telling us, listen, I've told you these things. And so now I want you to understand this. We've talked about angels. We've talked about who Jesus is. Now we're going to talk about Moses, the guy you have on a pedestal. Okay. And so he tells them that he refers to them as holy brothers. Remember, there's three different groups. You're going to hear me say that a lot, right? Three different groups that he's speaking directly to. We believe that the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to And in this case, it's inferred that he's probably speaking to believers at this point. He's probably speaking to those who have accepted Jesus. They have their heritage, their rich heritage, but they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. And now they're kind of looking at him like, now what do we do with this? Um, Not that these words aren't for all of us. Not that these words aren't for everyone, whether you're a believer or not. But just know that he's probably focusing in on that. Interestingly, in these verses, he, he refers to... In verse 1, a heavenly calling. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. You know, John Piper says this, and this just stuck with me all week. He says this. He says, we um, always really just need two things. We really need two things. We need a word from God, and we need a way to God. It's that simple. A word from God and a way to God. And so when he's talking about the heavenly calling, that's what he's talking about. This way to God, which we know, if we're believers, that it's through Jesus Christ alone. He goes on to use the word consider. And um, that's still in verse 1. And I want you to think about this for a minute. He is appealing to what they already know. Does God do that in your world? Right? Are there times when he will take something that you're very familiar with and he'll speak to you in a real crazy way and you're like, whoa, whoa. That could only be God. Well, that's what he's doing. He's appealing to what they know. He's requiring attention and observation. And he's making sure they understand that verse 2, chap, ch- excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. Do you remember what our, little, what our little warning was? Lest we drift. Lest we drift. And so he's saying to them, look where you want to go. Do you guys remember? I say it all the time because I feel like God is making me remember this all the time. When my husband was teaching me how to mountain bike, do you remember what he would say to me? I'd say, oh my gosh, I keep falling. There's rocks and trees and oh my goodness. And he's like, yeah, it's really not that hard. You know, like it's just a path. You just follow the path. Don't run into the trees. And I'm like, okay, seriously, that's terrible advice. (laughs) Don't run into the trees. Don't look off the cliff. But you know what he would always tell me, which made perfect sense. No, look where you want to go. You're looking at the things you don't want to run over. Look where you want to go. So if you ever see me out on the trail at North Shore, you will absolutely hear me going, look where you want to go, look where you want to go, look where you... You just got to look where you want to go. And so that's what the author of Hebrews is telling them. He's saying, you've got to consider this heavenly calling and you've got to look where you want to go. Look where you want to go. He goes on to um, use the word confession. That word confession. And that word is weird. Isn't that a weird word? It's kind of weird because we all have this preconceived idea, don't we, of what that means. 
A lot of it comes from our backgrounds. A lot of it comes from religious, um, you know, sacrileges that we, we, we participate in. But I want you to understand something about that word here, the way it's used here. N.T. Wright says it this way, that he's not telling something that he did wrong, but rather when he speaks of confession, he's telling people what's really true about what he believes. What is our confession? What is really true about what we believe? He's faithful. He's quoting numbers. He's quoting numbers 12 where he's talking about Moses and he's saying he's faithful. And so we, we get this feeling that the author knows his audience, right? He knows that they know all these wonderful things about Moses. So then he launches into this, this part about being a house. What do you think they were thinking when they heard that? See, because they've heard all the, you know, the first five books, the Torah that we know that Moses wrote all those books, so they have endeared him in such a high status. And all of a sudden they hear this and they're like, wait a minute. So you're saying here in verse uh, three, it says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Woe. And as much more glory as the builder of a house has honor of the house itself. And so for every house built by someone... But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful. You did this in your homework, right? Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But Christ is faithful over God's house. Who's God's house? Us. God's house is us. Listen, he knows this. Moses matters to these people. He knows this too. They need to understand that Jesus is superior to Moses in every way, but that doesn't diminish how important Moses is. So he lays it out this way. He says, okay, guys, here's the deal. So like houses, you know how we build houses and we do that. So when we do that, when we build those houses, somebody's got to take care of the business, right? Somebody's got to lay the groundwork, take care of stuff. That's Moses. But then there's somebody that built that house. There's somebody that knows everything about that house beyond anything the caretaker could ever understand. And that's who Jesus is. So he gives them this beautiful word picture, this analogy, six times he talks about it. And you know what's funny? When I went back and looked, you know that actually originates in 2 Samuel 7. For those of you that hang out in 2 Samuel, you probably know that because we all do that, right? But that's where David was trying to build a house. Do you remember this, anybody? David said to God, I'm going to build a house where you can dwell. And God's like, hey, that's cool and stuff, but I don't need that house. I am God. I am the builder of the house. So he tells them that it's like a house. He says, you've got Moses, who's the caretaker of the house, and then you've got Jesus, who is the, um, is the maker of the house. And so what's interesting is, um, if you think about this for a minute, Moses and Jesus, he's comparing them, but he's contrasting them, right? So he's probably taking this in a real delicate way. And so it was crazy when Becky and I were talking, I was like, Becky, this is the coolest thing ever because this is where he's saying... Here's who Moses is. Here's who Jesus is. This is why it matters. So I'm going to give you something to think about for a second. And it's a lot to write down. So don't worry about writing it down. I just want you to hear it. Okay? We've got Moses, who's the servant. We've got Jesus, who's the son. Their lives, if you've been to church in the last few weeks, you know Ron's been talking a lot about how the Old Testament points to the New Testament. Old Testament points to who? Jesus. 100%. 
And so he's been talking about typologies, and a typology is just basically something that is um, showing something in the Old Testament that's going to say, hey, so pay attention, because it's going to matter in the New Testament. And so Moses' life is a typology of Jesus, which is so fitting. It shows you how much he loves his people, right? He knows what matters to them. So listen to this. These are just a few things. There, there are many, 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 and I'll have your small group leaders send out a list if you want to take a look at these, but I just want you to listen to this for a minute and think about this is why it matters. This is why we must consider and appeal to what we know about who Moses is and why it matters to Jesus. He says this, Moses, there was a period of silence before Moses came on the scene. There was a period of silence before Jesus came on the scene. Moses was born a Hebrew. Jesus was born a Hebrew. Moses hid in Egypt as a child. Jesus hid in Egypt as a child. Moses was, was, there was an attempt on his life by the Pharaoh to kill him when he was a baby. Jesus, there was a king chasing him to kill him when he was a baby. Moses saved a woman at the well. Jesus saved a woman at the well. Moses turned water into blood. Jesus turned water into wine. Moses fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Moses died on a hill. Jesus died on a hill. Moses sent 12 spies to Canaan to bring people to the promised land. Jesus sent 12 disciples out into the world to bring people to the promised land. Moses taught his followers how to pray. Jesus taught his followers how to pray. Moses fed the thousands. Jesus fed the thousands. Moses washed Aaron and his sons. Jesus got on the ground and washed his disciples' feet. Moses raised his arms on a hill to subdue an attack with two others. Jesus raised his, harm, raised his arms on a hill to subdue an attack with two others. It's not a coincidence. And so what we find in six verses, Becky and I were talking like we start, in a minute we're going to go into all the heart, how your heart gets hardened and all this stuff. But right now he's appealing to our minds. He's saying this, consider what you know. Now consider what Jesus did in light of what you know. You know, the Hebrews would have, would have heard this and been like, whoa. So what are we doing with it? And it's funny because we get to that place all the time, right? Where we always think, oh, does the Old Testament matter? Did Moses matter? I think Moses mattered because Moses pointed to the son who saves. And so verses one through six tell us that, that we're to consider that heavenly calling. Jesus was here. He was our salvation. He was our high priest. Let me give you the principle for this section. The principle is this, that the servant prepared the path, but the son alone saves. The servant, Moses, prepared the path, but the son alone saves. Verses one through six, they were about the head. They were about head knowledge. Verses seven and continuing, we get lots and lots of stuff about the heart. And so immediately when we were thinking through this, I thought of my friend. Well, we'll just let you talk about your heart. Who maybe <laughs> has the biggest heart, but also had a broken heart. She's going to share that with us. Okay, so when we were talking about this, we looked at this, this, this part as God's prescription 
for preventing heart disease. If you look at verse 7, it says, So as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Now, how was it that their hearts became hardened? Look over to um, verse um, 13. Encourage one another daily as long as, as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So that's one thing. If you look, um, you don't have to turn to this. I'm just going to read this out of the message. But um, Psalm 70, the psalmist is talking in um, Psalm 78 about this period in the wilderness. And he says, this is the message version, but, and can you believe it? They kept right on sinning, all those wonders, and they still wouldn't believe. So their lives dribbled off to nothing, nothing to show for their lives but a ghost town. So Moses recorded the history of the Exodus. The psalmist right here used it to exhort the people of his day, and then the author of Hebrews used it to to exhort the people of his day and ours. In all these cases, the root of the hardened heart was a love of self, maybe you talked about this in your group this morning, or a reliance on ourselves that, and it caused, that's what they had, a um, reliance on themselves and a, and a um, love of, of themselves, really, that caused their hearts to harden and caused them to go astray. They didn't want God to control their lives. They could do that just for the, fine for themselves, thank you very much. And did you discuss that in your class today? Does that still happen? So um, some of you know that last year I had a little heart issue. I was... I like how you did this. Aware. (laughs) She did air quotes. That's not an air quote thing. It was a heart issue. (laughs) Um, I was aware of some symptoms for quite a while that told me that something was wrong, but I just ignored that. So um, one night when the symptoms were too obvious, Tommy took me to the emergency room at Flower Mound Presby. Um, they apparently took the symptoms seriously. I had not walked in the door until 10 minutes later. I was on the helicopter on the way to um, Denton Regional where they had more sophisticated diagnostic um, equipment. Um, so they put me to sleep and uh, while well, they had a look inside, which I couldn't see. The people in the ER couldn't see. They needed something more to look at that. So when I woke up, they said that I had Broken heart syndrome. What? What? It's a thing. Seriously? It's a thing. It is a thing, but my word last year was wholehearted. What the heck? <laughs> Don't pick that for your Don't word, guys. Pick that. Really, you, we need to coach that. We should have done that. Coach them on the words on the they word, choose. Yeah. So, at any rate, this was something that could be managed if I did what I was instructed to do. Had I ignored the symptoms, it wouldn't have gone so well. So, like those very sophisticated diagnostic machines at the hospital, God's word reveals to our spiritual hearts the good, the bad, and the ugly that's in there as we come to his word and let him expose that. He loves me enough to do that for me. He loves you enough to do that for you. 
to expose your heart. So that's why we don't just read scripture. We have to let scripture read us too. And and it's true that um, when we come to Bible study, when we come to the Bible, we come to it to see who God is, who Jesus is. But as we do that, we also begin to see how he sees us. He knows those things that are hidden in us, even things that are hidden from our own understanding. And that can be frightening, but it should be comforting too. You know how we sing the song with our little ones? We sang it. You want to sing this? No. Uh, Jesus, no. Loves, Jesus loves me, this I know. And that's great. But you know what the other part of that is? Jesus knows me, mm-hmm. this I love. Mm-hmm. He sees us clearly and he loves us dearly anyway. He loves us really too dearly and too much to leave us like we are. So just like a surgeon for our hearts, if it's necessary, cuts to heal. His purpose for us is to be like him. And so sometimes that takes softening our hearts, even breaking our hearts, so that he can then heal them. And um, we can, just like I did with my real heart, we can ignore the symptoms of our heart disease, our spiritual heart disease too. Like the ones Chris pointed out last week when she was talking about um, the drifting. You know, the, some of the symptoms of that were um, hearing, not doing, compromising, rationalizing, etc. All symptoms. And those symptoms and that drifting contributed to the hardened heart. Another thing that he talks about in um, this chapter is complaining, as they did in the wilderness. And it was and it is another of the big causes of a calloused heart that then becomes a hardened heart. Um, The Israelites doubted God's faithfulness, and so they they lived in this restless unbelief. So the treatment for my broken heart syndrome was simply medication. Basically, it was only pumping at 33%, and that's not good. It needed to work harder than that. The treatment for a complaining heart is to choose to remember the faithfulness that he has exhibited in the past, historically in his word, and in our own lives. I mean, when they were in the desert, God's benevolence was profound. He fed them manna. He led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. And still, his people chose to rebel against him. I was thinking about this. It was like, these are his created beings. But they, their displeasure with the God who created them and their displeasure with his purposes and how he chose to accomplish them in, her, in their life became habitual and that hardened their hearts until their hearts couldn't even function anymore. Israel ignored God's goodness while longing for things that couldn't satisfy. The readers and we are offered a vivid physical, uh, historical example to learn from if we will. And this is a really important thing. A grateful heart cannot be a hardened heart. We all do, or we all should, perform regular um, breast exams. We also ought to perform regular heart checks 
just ask yourself regularly, what am I grateful for? And maybe you've heard this question, but it's very sobering to me. What if all I got today was what I thanked God for yesterday? What if all I got today is what I thanked him for yesterday? So as we go on in this chapter, verse 7 is talking to the Hebrew. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense. So yes, he was talking to the Hebrews of that day, and yes, he's talking to us. And we still live in a very current peril of disobedience and lack of gratitude that can lead to hardened hearts. Um, Last week, we discussed the meaning of that phrase in these last days, and there was some difference of opinion on what that means. But whatever it means, as long as we are in these last days, there is still today. That's a good thing. Today, we live in an era of grace. But if we refuse God's grace, that's going to contribute to a hard heart. And today will end for each one of us, either when Jesus returns or 100% probability we die. And then the time for repentance, the time of change of heart is gone. So if you have not had that all-important heart-to-heart talk with Jesus where you ask him, forgive my sins. I need you. I need you as my Savior. Let him rule in your heart. Don't let this day, this today, pass without that happening. Um, There's also a very practical and comforting application that just leaped out from this chapter. 3.13 says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God, is that's a great gift to us, to us, to encourage one another. Um, Lindsay talked about that. You know, you come to church and you get, you get this. You get a group of encouragement. Um, and our responsibility um, is not just for ourselves. It's for each other. Um, I don't know how many of you know about Rock Point's um, Flourish ministry, but it's basically a mentoring ministry where older women. No, just more experienced. More experienced women. Try to be um, cool about that. Are matched to to walk with, to kind of do life with um, younger ones. So the older ones are called Nita's after a very godly woman who was a kind of a solid person here when before she went home. And the pearls are younger ones who um, they are gems, and they're precious gems. And they are, but and they are formed in. Um, an enclosed space under a lot of pressure. So those two, they, they walk together. But, um, and, and it's kind of assumed that the older person is going to be, or the more, more mature, wise person <laughs> is going Making to be. Making this so awkward for us old people. Feed, feed into the younger person. But I'm here to tell you that um, last week I told my, uh, my precious little pearl that I get so much from her too that we are not a Pearl and Anita, we're a PETA. <laughs> so, but this Bible at, study is all about at those any rate, names. That's one of the ways God has given us to encourage each other. <laughs> so if, you, if, you're, if this is something you, that um, you're not aware of in our church and you're interested in, um, you can ask any of us and we'll send you to Dawn. <laughs> Who knows all about it. That's what we'll do. I'm sorry. So um, anyway, um, it talks about sharing in Christ, and that's, um, 
a way that this is a way that we are, we are empowered by him. We're not saved, we're not saved, we're not saved by holding fast to our confession. We don't lose our salvation in any way. But holding to our confession is a visible, physical, practical proof that we are God's children. Okay, I got bad news and good news. Bad news, and this is true, because 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says it is. And this is why we have all these warnings. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Good news. Also true because it says in Second Chronicles, okay, so Satan's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Those who are, you know, not standing firm. Good news. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So as we choose to follow what um, the author of Hebrews is telling us here, that's where we get. Okay, chapter 4 talks about, um, his, about the rest that God has for us. It started right after creation when God rested, and it goes through the whole Bible. And one of our questions pointed us to Matthew 28, where Jesus invites us to take his yoke and learn from him, for he's gentle in heart, humble in heart, not a hard heart. And we will find rest for our souls. So when oxen are um, yoked together, um, they take a stronger, older, wiser. More experienced. Oxen, more experienced mm-hmm. oxen. And a younger one, and they, and they yoke them together. So... As the, the uh, more experienced one is going to do the leading, but the other one has to go right along, so it learns. Or they take a stronger one and a weaker one and yoke them together. And so the stronger one that is there to support the weaker one. And both of those things we have access to when we, when we yoke ourselves to Jesus. We walk beside him. And he teaches us. He directs our paths, quite literally, if we're yoked to him. And um, when, not if, but when we are weak, we're still yoked to him and he holds us up. So important things to think about um, with that. Um, and the, the thing that comes to us mostly, or what meant the most to me, right, that means the most right now is that you know, that rest is initiated from um, a heart of love. Interestingly enough, this year, my word is Sabbath. Um, but this is still a lot of promise. Word. <laughs> it's a better word. Um, but but when, we enter, when we choose to enter into that rest, that Sabbath rest, we don't have to be on that emotional roller coaster, that drama machine that our society and our culture so pushes and uh, we don't have to we don't have to live in that stress and anxiety and insecurity so um, let's keep at it and now what now what here's the question you got the head stuff we're supposed to consider right with our head in psalms if you did psalms what did we always talk about we talked about how no is greater than feel Right, And we need to use that head knowledge to know God's word and know the history and know what it means to Jesus, know what it means to now. When we were discussing this, we were like, how do we land this plane? This is interesting. Verse 11 of chapter 4 
leads us there. Listen, remember this, that when you think about Hebrews, okay, what we have here is there's this, he's, he's trying to lay out this accountability to those who've heard the word of God, okay? These Hebrews have heard the word of God and he's trying to make them understand, look, there's an accountability attached to that. And let me tell you this, this might be good news, bad news too. We here in this room have one of these We have the word of God in our laps right here. We have him speaking to us, his word to us, to show us how to get to him that way, right? So we need to be accountable to the word of God. And so verse 11 says this, it says, let us therefore, which wow, okay, with both all that is a lot of things already. Let us, there's something's about to come down here that tells us we need to pay attention. Therefore, based on what we just talked about, all the head issues of understanding who Jesus is, all the heart issues of understanding that we have so much to learn about not letting our hearts be hardened and entering into his rest. Let us therefore... Strive to enter that rest that we just read all about so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Accountability. What is the rest that Jesus has for you now? What is that rest that he wants you to enter into? And and how does it look? What do we do with it? Now what? Well, I'm the head person. You're the heart person. And so immediately I thought of, well... I need to consider Jesus. I need to consider Jesus. And when we say consider Jesus, you need to remember that that is the way to God. Not a way to God. That is the way to God. And let me share this with you. It's real easy for us to say that if we're Christians and we believe that. So what does consider Jesus mean to those of us who already know Jesus as our Savior? To those of us who go through the ups and downs of faith, right? Sometimes we're like super Christians and sometimes we're down in the rut and we don't even want to show our faces. What does consider Jesus mean in that situation? It means you you rely on what you know more than what you feel. What do you know about who Jesus is? What do you know? The second thing to think about when you're thinking about head knowledge, when you're thinking about what are we going to do, what's going to help us strive to enter that rest, is this. Study his word. You're doing that. You're doing that. But remember, what did John Piper say in the beginning that was so brilliant? He said, we want two things. We need two things, even when we don't realize it. We need to understand the word of God, the word from God, and we need to understand the way to God. And to understand the word from God is to get into his word. It's important. It's here for a reason, every word of it. And then... There's some hard things, and there might be a story, too. Okay. Uh, One hard thing, the thing that just really struck, stuck out to me over and over was the encourage one another while it's today. Mm. And I want you to think about right now, you personally, who is God calling you to encourage right now, today? Um, And just keep that question in your mind, God, who do you want me to encourage today? And then don't make yourself vulnerable by not seeking to be encouraged. Who do you need to go to and say, I need you to encourage me? Can I, you just sit with me, just encourage me. 
You know, so use that. Hold on to that. And yes, there's a story. Um, okay, so um, my master's is in early childhood education, and this is my level of book. It's my best, my, these are my best books. Um, last, last week, uh, and I'm just probably going to cry. Awesome. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Not me. All right, so last week when I went home, and I have permission. I just got from permission from my daughter to do this. So last week when, um, on Wednesday nights, I take the kids home, uh, Riley and Ethan, my grandchildren. I get, take them home, do dinner, get them to bed, hopefully by the time Rebecca gets home from her Bible study, which ends an hour later. So last week, Riley was asleep. Ethan and I were in his bed. He had picked out the books, and he was reading. He's second grade, so he was reading this book to me. This is a book I gave his mother many years ago. And he didn't know that. And, but he was reading it to me when she came in. So she curled up on the bed with us. And I know you probably can't see the illustrations. If you want to see this later, you can. And it, it's, this is not written as, uh, it's not written as a book to illustrate God's love. It's not, but it does. And when I was thinking, so we read this last week, and it brought back really hard and good memories. But, but as I read this week, and I was reviewing all that stuff that happened with the Hebrews in the wilderness and how rebellious they were, and they tried God, and they tried God, and they tried God, and they pushed, and he loved them anyway. And so that's kind of what this says. It's, it's Mama, Do You Love Me? And on the inside, I wrote, yes, Rebecca, I do, and I always will. This was, um, I gave this to her at a time that was, shall we say, <laughs> difficult. She was difficult. Not, Not Becky. <laughs> I was the elder, wiser, more gentle. Hope Rebecca listens to this. Okay, so, Mama, do you love me? Yes, I do, dear one. How much? I love you more than the raven loves his treasure. More than the dog loves his tail, more than the whale loves his spout. How long? I'll love you until the umiak flies into the darkness, till the stars turn to fish in the sky and the puffin howls at the noon. Mama, what if I carried our ptarmigan eggs, which they needed for food, and I tried to be careful, and I tried to walk slowly, but I fell, and the eggs broke. Then I would be starry, sorry, but still, I would love you. What if I put salmon in your parka, ermine in your mittens, and lemmings in your mukbucks? Then I would be angry. <laughs> now, mind you, this is... Eskimo, pre-electricity, this is the light that they have. What if I threw water at our lamp? Then, dear one, I would be very angry, but still, I would love you. What if I ran away? Then I would be worried. What if I stayed away and sang with the wolves and slept in a cave? Then, dear one, I'd be very sad but still, I would love you. What if I turned into a muskox? Then I'd be surprised. <laughs> what if I turned into a walrus? Then I would be surprised and a little scared. 
What if I turned into a polar bear and I was the meanest bear you ever saw? And I had sharp, tiny teeth and I chased you into your tent and you cried. Then I would be very surprised and very scared. But still, inside the bear, you would be you and I would love you. I will love you forever and always because you are my dear one. So Rebecca came in while Ethan was reading that. And then he turned to the back page and he said, look, Mom, there's a note. You read this one. I'd forgotten this note. She certainly had forgotten this note. But she started reading. What if I stayed out after my curfew? even though I knew it would frighten you and that you'd worry and not be able to go to sleep, it would be hard for you to go to work the next day. Then, dear one, I would be worried and frightened and frustrated and angry after I knew you were safe. But I would still love you and pray for your protection and hope that very soon you would mature enough to be responsible and to care for my feelings too. I will love you forever and for always because you're my dear one. We are his dear one. He loves us all, but make sure that you are his personal dear one. And if you know someone who isn't, make sure they are his per- become his personal dear one. Share what God's given you. So, the end. <laughs> I didn't mean to do this. Yeah, this you did. just She did happened. it on purpose. Well, then I'll pray. Thank you. That's a good idea. Yeah. God, um, thank you. Thank you that we are your dear ones, and thank you that um, the love of a parent is this beautiful reflection but could never fully encompass how much you love us. You love us so much. You love us when we do let our hearts get hardened. Lord, forgive us for that. Um, God, we ask you today to help us understand what are those places where we need to get our heads right about who you are, about who your son is, and about what he means um, to our lives. And Lord, what are those places that um, we are in danger, our hearts are in danger? We fake it really well, we hide it really well, we rely on ourselves, we try to fix things, and, um, and we just we put that before you right now and we ask your forgiveness, God. What are those places that you want our whole heart You want our whole soul. You want our whole mind. And Father, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, who sits here and doesn't really understand um, what that love can be, it doesn't mean things are perfect. It certainly doesn't mean circumstances go well. But Father, it's a love that never changes, even when we do. And so Father, if there are any in here that don't know you, Um, don't know you as their personal savior, Um, I pray that they will have the courage to ask questions, to talk to you about it. But um, Lord, will you just stir something in their hearts? Because these last days are now. Mm -hmm. And it is today that we need to make that decision, Father. And I pray that we hold your word up and that we hold your son up the way you would have us. And so, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for my friend and her heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And can I give you one postscript? So Ethan hands the book to Rebecca, and she starts reading that very personal page. And she didn't get very far until she was just sobbing. And she said, 
I get it now, Mom. I get it. <laughs> and that's how, when we, when we come to know how we break the heart of our Father God, then we get it. We get it. When we know how much he loves us, we get it. Now stop making me cry and go away. Stop. <laughs> and that's how we're going to go away. <laughs> Thanks for being understanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>